Something I was intrigued about, I would say, well, a couple of things. I, I am amazed in the past, I don't have a, a specific statistic on this, but I would say in the past like 50 years, there is a, a significant amount of growth as far as um, the need for employers, for businesses, for organizations to create situations to make sure that people are doing what they actually say that they're doing. Right? There is a lot of time and energy and money spent that, hey, listen, I got here at such and such time. Well, did you really? You know, so then they have like cards. So signing in, obviously, like that didn't work. It didn't work in high school. I don't know why they thought it would work like in the real world. You're just going to sign in your friends and you're going to put the time down and that's just what people are going to do. And then you move in to like scan cards. Um, and then maybe I guess you have some hackers. You can even mess with that a little bit. Um, and then people try and make rounds, you know, buy people, make sure that they are where they say they are. You get a half hour lunch break or whatever. Some people double that, triple that. Um, people, you know, we're supposed to follow up with people, you know, at work and make sure that, you know, we do what we're supposed to do and follow up with them and try and help them do something and, oh, they didn't call me back, you know, and so a lot of times that's like an excuse for people not to do what they're supposed to do and uh, typically the boss or supervisor or somebody again gets involved and says, hey, would you follow up with them? Well, I, I left a couple messages, you know, but like, no, no, you got to contact them, you got to get a hold of them and, um, and then the always very famous one when it comes to work and it comes to jobs is, uh, well, they didn't ask me to do that, you know, so I'm not going to do that. When in reality, there's a lot of part of our work and a part of our jobs where we kind of actually have to do a little bit that's outside of our job description in order to make what we're supposed to do really happen the right way. And if you didn't know that, that's the case. So there's a lot, like even my own job, that I, I just spend a, a lot of time and energy and effort, but I know that I have to get that done and really in order to do well what's really in front of me. And so there is, and, and I'm a Christian, like I care about what I do. I take super seriously the multiple times, or say multiple, yeah, the multiple times it says in the Bible, to one, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, like when you say you're going to do something, like you'll do it. Even if it un inconveniences you, feels really uncomfortable, like, oh, I didn't know I was going to mean this. Like, you still follow through to the best of your ability. And then the other verses that say, like Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. But I'm a Christian. And so what that means is, even when there's work and things that need to be done, see, I think my boss is very lucky because... I'm not only going to do the work when he's looking at me, I'm still going to do my best work and my best job when he's not looking at me. It'll even eat up time when I'm not even there. Because I know who I'm really working for. Whether it ever gets notices or not, everybody say noticed. Whatever, it ever gets notices or not. And... It's just amazing to me about how much time and energy is just spent towards our people really doing what they say they're doing. And I know the calling on my life and all of our lives is um, 
hopefully the Christians, we are actually doing what we say we are doing. Especially when it comes to work, when it comes to being a parent, when it comes to being a friend, when it comes to being part of a church family, when it comes to whatever it is in life. Like, man, when they say they're going to do something, they actually do it, and they go through all the way. Like, we should be, that should be kind of a mark on our lives. That's really expected. Jesus isn't really thought of somebody that's like, eh, I'll go as far as somebody says I have to go, and then I won't. You know, that'd be silly. That's not the way Jesus is. He's all in, all the way, for all the right things. And when I say all the right things, that means it's important that we really say yes to the things we need to say yes to, and no, everybody say no, and say no to the things that we just can't do. We're kind of like Lego pieces. We only have so many things that we can, so many holes that we can connect with. And at some point, it's just total overload. It doesn't work out. And so, when you think about, you know, jobs and situations and relationships, the, the question of, how do I know I have the right person? How do I know I have the right person? That's a super important question because everybody wants to hire and everyone wants to be in relationship with the right people. And when it comes, you know, to professional stuff, obviously you submit your resume, you know, you submit, you know, like your schooling would be on your resume, things that you've done, all that stuff. Then you go through an interview process, you have to do all this stuff. And very much it's based upon qualifications. And pretty much everybody here knows you could be super qualified in anything still be really stinky at the job. So somebody can bring somebody in, they have a very impressive resume, but the problem that the employers couldn't find out was that in their hearts, they're like not really good people. They're just looking to make the money, take advantage, promote themselves, and that's really it. And so if we could which I think it's able to some degree, if we could really possess a supernatural ability, not just employers, right? We need it on all levels of life. We need it to, this ability to recognize the heart of people, we need it as we find spouses, as we decide who we're going to like let close into our lives in a relationship, um, who we, yes, might do business deals with, um, if we could have an ability to see people past their qualifications, past how they look. I mean, so, listen, this day, I read a quote. What was the quote? Let me read you this quote here. Look at this quote I read this week. The world is full of idolatries, but I question if any idolatry has been more extensively practiced than the idolatry of outward appearance. There's a lot of truth to that one. And then now you have the age of social media and the internet, and it's like, phew. Some people are just super skilled at recognizing if somebody had plastic surgery or not. And there's like, we all know there's so much more to a person, obviously, than that. Or when we go around and we see people. I was talking with somebody the other day, and they were sharing about how uh, when they were in college, their roommate decided to not go to college. They dropped out within the first few weeks. And they took all the money 
that their parents had given them for college, and they started uh, investing into real estate. And they had no idea what they were doing, but they knew they didn't want to do college. They just weren't built for school and college and all that. So uh, they took all their money, put it in real estate, and fast forward a whole bunch of years, or actually, not yet, and what he did with the rest of the money is he got a really impressive car, he got super nice clothes, and he lived in an apartment that was like maybe 200 square feet. So he looked super impressive. The interesting thing is, it paid off. Kind of fake it till you make it sort of deal. So he put himself, everyone was just sort of kind of like, oh wow, so they must be good at what they do because they look like this and they have that. And so in that situation, like it worked, and and eventually he actually got himself, uh, he's very high up in Merrill Lynch and he does really well with it. Um, But the idea being is that there's a supreme importance on appearance in our culture. And just in our own lives. I mean, I was working out at the gym the other day. There is this guy working out. And people should be proud of themselves, especially when they're doing well, you know, losing weight, looking good, you know, like. This guy was like glued to the mirror. 14 different flex positions. Not even like, kind of like on the low, like sneaking a look at himself. He's like, you know, it's every position. Maybe he's doing a show later. No, I don't know. But I was like, man, like, jeez Louise. It just made me feel uncomfortable that he was looking at himself that much. And it was just weird. And I even feel that way with social media and stuff. The selfie thing is like weird. It's just weird. Um, there was selfie day, I guess, not too long ago. And you know? it's just, I, I don't know. It's, it's not wrong to take pictures of yourself and your friends. It's, it's not weird. It's just... I don't know, it just seems to go to a weird place where we're just really infatuated with how we look, with what others look like. And, I don't know, it just seems to have an unhealthy grip on a lot of lives and on a lot of people. And I don't think it's then an excuse to say, oh, just let yourself go, uh, dress in a paper bag, and just, it doesn't matter anyways. I don't know if it's really an excuse for that, but it's certainly not good to be away on the other end either. And I think the point of the matter is when we're talking about the gospel and we're talking about Christianity and we're talking about Jesus Christ and we're talking about heaven, the thing that really matters of the utmost importance is what happens on the inside. What happens on the inside. And you look at me like you don't know exactly what's happening on the inside of me. I look at you, I don't know what's happening on the inside of you. The totality of it, I don't know. And you don't know. And a lot of times, we don't know about our own selves. And if we don't know about our own selves, it's even really difficult to know what's happening with somebody else, even though we might think we know. But what's happening on the inside is super important. And I've noticed that in my prayers over the, I'd say the last, like, maybe five, six years, one prayer that has been repeated a lot and has just come up a lot in my own particular private time was that the eyes that heaven sees people that there would be some kind of work done in my life so I would have more of that happening than just what I see there's just so much of my life that's just kind of dominated by what I see and by what I feel 
So if I just come in contact with a person and they have just a bad attitude, you know, they're swearing, they're just doing all this stuff, it's like, that's not the whole situation. I know that they didn't really choose to be that way. Something in life has happened. Some, Lots of things in life have happened. Who knows what they are? And so some Christians are so off-put, you know, by the sin of what they are doing and the way they are living and what they are saying. It's like, man, you're just seeing the outside stuff. Or some spouses will be totally off-put and discouraged by their other half, by the other spouse. And it's like, man, wouldn't it be helpful to actually see what God sees right now? Wouldn't, wouldn't that really change some things? It's really hard to be not hopeful for other people. It's really hard to be not hopeful for other people. When you know that God is saying, listen, I sent my son. I've put Christians all around people. I love people. I want to be in relationship with them. There's destiny over all of their lives. And their destiny will be highlighted and it will be brought to their attention by my Christians, by the ones that follow me. They're going to call that out of people's lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's God's game plan. And so if we are very easily influenced by appearance and the way situations look and the way people look, we're really disarming ourselves in significant ways for the work that God wants to do through us. Did you hear? Did you get that part? We're disarming ourselves we're disarming ourselves for the significant work that God wants to do through us. So we're going to talk some a little bit about this heart issue today. Because in our book here, 1 Samuel 16, it's an amazing book, by the way. This is like, this book is, there's a people that's on the verge of sort of becoming who they're really called to be. They're on the verge of fulfilled promises that have been spoken over them hundreds of years before. They're on a people that have, they need a leader. And so they're very much at the crossroads like of what's going to happen next. It's pretty exciting. And up until this point, um, they've really been struggling. And now God is going to kind of like not give them so much a choice anymore in the matter. They're going to say, hey, now kind of do it this way. And things change a lot. So we're going to take a look at that. And within the passage, we're going to see the supreme value of this idea of the inside. I would say the inside. Yeah, the inside. God looks at people. He's not just super impressed with their physiques. He's not really impressed with the money they have, the relationships, the people that they're around. I'm like, it's going to be very interesting, you know, when we get to heaven and so much of this world is impressed by so many things. However many followers somebody gets, however many likes they get, how many albums they sold, how many jobs they did, you know, whatever. It's like going to be so unpopular in heaven. It's like, man, I really wasn't impressed. Like, I really wasn't. It wasn't real impressive to me. They became excellent at second-rate stuff. That wasn't... In fact, he's going to be saddened, to be honest. It's going to be sad and he's going to be like, man, the enemy was really successful and having them buy into lies in and around their life. He's like, I created them for more. And they sold short. 
So we'll take a look at some of this, okay? 1 Samuel 16. <coughs> the Lord said to Samuel, he was the lead prophet, the one leading uh, the nation until they asked for a king. They asked for a king. They said, we want a king. We want to be like everybody else. We want security and we want provision. So we want a king. And uh, Samuel said, it's a bad idea. God said, it's a bad idea. We shouldn't do it. We should do it like the way we're doing it. Stuff comes up, we pray. Everybody say pray. Yeah, stuff comes up, we pray. So we're feeling insecure. We don't know like where our next meal is going to come from. We don't know how we're going to defeat an army. They're like, just give us a king. That's their job. That's what they do. They like the idea of somebody just being in place to take care of all that. Even if they're not even a great person. They just like the idea of that being there. And God's saying, that's dangerous to just supply that idea and that feeling. And they said, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But we, we want a king. So, all right. And they get it, and it backfires. So then now Samuel, who was the prior leader, he is now going to, God's going to use him to set up a situation for the next king. Because the first king, who was Saul, didn't work out well. For a whole gamut of reasons. And if you missed any of it, just listen online. You'll learn it all pretty quick. All right? So the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. So how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse. One of his sons is going to be king. Interesting thought I want you just to consider here. It's interesting to me um, that God tells Saul, hey, listen, stop mourning now. We're done with that. This is very important. I want to make sure everybody hears this part. Because there's like this super subtle... Um, and sometimes people are explicit with it, but most of the time it's subtle, under-the-radar thing that a lot of people believe, especially Christians, and it's not good. Our emotional life needs healing. Everybody say needs healing. Our emotional life is not untouched from sin. The way we feel, the way we handle emotions, the way it happens right now is not the way it's going to happen in heaven very different so we needed to be cured and made whole from sin for sure and that sin affects our sexuality affects our mind affects our emotions so when we feel certain things it's a reality that we feel it but it does not mean that that feeling is actually indicating the truth of what's actually happening. We feel it, and it's real. But it doesn't mean that that feeling is 100% accurate as far as what is happening and what God is doing. Are you with me? I hope nobody heard, hey, your feelings don't matter, because that's not at all what I just said. I'm saying that they do matter. He did make us with them. God himself has them. But the feelings that he has are completely perfect and they're not tainted by sin in any way, shape, or form. Our feelings, they can just get, like, distorted. 
When things are distorted, there's some low level, some element of truth in there, but it's really hard to find because it's distorted. So our feelings matter. He made us with them, but they... If I'm just feeling a particular way and feeling something, that doesn't mean that's summarizing a situation accurately. It just means I'm feeling that way. And for some Christians and some people, it's like, I'm feeling that way, so that's the way it is. And it's like, oh man, that's dangerous. So the idea is not to suppress or ignore the feeling. The idea is to bring that feeling before God and say, God, I am feeling, obviously you know, Lord, but I'm telling you, I'm feeling this way. I am feeling discouraged. I'm feeling overwhelmed right now. I'm feeling confused. Now I know that you're true and you said that you would do ba 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 and you put it all in there. That's when you need to know God's word. Say God's word. That's when you need to know God's word, right? Because you have to like repeat back the thing, hopefully, we're Christians, that hopefully we have been putting into us. Because that's how we battle that. We need truth. Everybody say truth. They need truth to just battle just distortions and just a falsely perceived reality. And so God says to Saul, hey, listen, stop mourning. Mourning is a feeling, right? He's sad, he's aching, he's agonizing. He's hurting for these people. Samuel's like a true leader. He's just, his heart is with the people. And you know what? They're making bad mistakes, they're making bad moves. He really wanted to see Saul do well, and he didn't. So his heart is just hurting. And Samuel's known for putting himself in sackcloth and ashes, fasting, separating himself, and just pouring it out before God. Not even because he did anything wrong, but because his heart is so closely tied to the people and to the situation. Man, it just grabs at the strings of his heart. That's how you know when you got a good leader, by the way. Not by how impressive like they talk or they do whatever, you know. Shepherding is a heart issue. Amen? Yeah. So, he says, hey, listen. You, you had your morning time. We're done with that. And God says, I am doing a new and current thing. I say new. He is doing a new thing right now. And so, he's saying to Saul, listen, if you stay mourning, if you stay feeling bad about, if you stay regretting, and if you stay reliving, you're going to miss out what I'm doing right now, so you need to stop. We have to stop now. I want you to know that that's not insensitive of God. It's not insensitive. If anything, it's super loving and caring. It'd be really insensitive of God if he said, hey, listen, take the next year and keep mourning about it. God knows how we're made and what's going on. Like, we can't do that stuff. It's not really healthy. It's not healthy for myself, for you, to continue. I would say continually. Be in places where we just lick each other's wounds, but nobody actually gets better. That is not good. And we can find other people in the church to do that with us, to sort of like come alongside us and say how bad it is and maybe how right we are and just kind of stay there. Like, it's not helpful. It doesn't bring any life. It doesn't bring any growth or any transformation. It typically just gets a group of people around who are hurt, and they just stay hurt together. And then there's no victory that happens. 
So it's very intriguing to me and interesting and I hope insightful to you that God says to Samuel, hey, listen, time to stop, man. Like, we're done now. Your heart is right and it's good, but I'm moving. I'm doing something now. And the interesting thing is, that's not the first time that God has said it. And this is really important. Like, when we lose family members and stuff, people pass away, people die. Um, there's a time for mourning and we need healing. The other side is, God's not done doing work and doing his thing because somebody passed away. I would hate, whenever I pass away, whenever it is, I would hate for my sons to spend the next three years always remembering my birthday and feeling bad about me all the time because I left. Say, guys, what the heck? Mommy and daddy teach you better than that? Like, God is doing something. Stay in that. I know you love me. It's fine. But I wasn't the center of your life. God, hopefully, is the center of your life. Move forward. Move on. doesn't mean you're forgetting about me and doing some kind of dishonor to my legacy. It means you're actually seeing the truth that this was always about him. So carry on in that. And it's not the first time that happened. Take a look at Exodus. you got to go left some more. Old Testament. Okay? Exodus 14. (coughs) Exodus 14. um, Pick up in verse 10. Because I I just, I'm bringing your attention to this passage because that's not the only time that God is saying, hey, listen, just stop. There's some point... Everybody hear this part, okay? This is important. There's actually many times, but there's a lot of times in life where it's time to stop praying and start doing. Everybody knows prayer is good, amen? Prayer is good. God has given it to us. It's one of the great weapons that we have. It's one of the most significant things that we have been given from God himself to bring forth victory, to change situations, to bring heaven here on earth through prayer it doesn't happen any other way through prayer there's this other thing called promises and a lot of times there's no more time for praying so listen start doing stand on and believe in who I am and what I called you to do don't ask anybody for any more prayer now stand in it everybody say stand in it stand in it stand in it and there's nothing, obviously I said, there's nothing wrong with prayer. We consider prayer very highly. But some people just stay in the mode of, oh, I'm really, get me today, cover me today, doing this, doing that. And it's always like that. And I'm not saying that that ever goes away, nor should it. Because there's always asking, seeking, knocking, like Jesus said. But I'm also saying that there's a finished work in Jesus Christ that he has accomplished. And our faith comes in when we say, okay, I've been asking, I'm getting covered, now I need to stand in what he said. And that's like what God is telling Samuel, saying, hey, listen, there's a word over these people. We got Saul, he did what he did. I have plans I'm still doing. How many people know when God is doing something and he has an agenda and he wants to get something done, it's not tied to an individual. 
it's going to happen despite who the people are. Because he wants to do it. And so that's when it's very important for us. Sometimes, I'm not asking for prayer. I, I, it's just time for me to simply believe and declare it and stay on it. It's a really important part of the Christian's life. It's a really important part of my life. And that's where we see a lot of growth. You say, oh wow, it is true. I had to actually stay in faith until I saw it be made manifest. And again, it doesn't negate prayer. It doesn't say it's less important. Jesus was very clear. My house is a house of prayer. But sometimes it's just like a way to sort of get attention because we're just like feeling bad. And So take a look at this. Exodus uh, 14, verse 10. Check it out. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. and they were, So they're running away. Israelites were getting out of Egypt. They're in the desert. Pharaoh's coming up behind them because he let him go and then he said, what the heck did I just do? I just let out three million of my workers. Like, what? So now he's coming to get them. And they're panicking. I mean, they got kids. They got women. They have elderly people. They have animals. Like, they're not exactly super strong here. Very vulnerable. So as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? I'd say that's freaking out, don't you think? So God just did this whole ten plagues thing, showed himself to be faithful. Pharaoh's on their butt. They have emotions of confusion, of fearfulness rising up. It's very real, right? But like we said, we have to check those, right, with the word, says, what have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? How many people know when they were set free they weren't saying that? They were dancing and celebrating and playing music and stuff. But now things are getting hard and they're like, well, yeah. Never mind. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. So obviously, totally freaking out. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, will never, uh, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And it's interesting. Sometimes in life, like I feel like you know, God wants us to kind of like move and like do something. And then there's sometimes in life where you just sit still and He says, Nope, do not lift a finger or do anything. A lot of this I'm going to do. It's hard to tell the difference. But there's just seasons of that in life sometimes. And this is one of those where one's like, I don't know. We're just going to sit and wait and see what he says. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? A.K.A., why are you praying right now? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So again, that's another example of saying, Moses, 
Stop talking to me. Let's get it done now. A staff I gave you who I am, boom, let's do it. And so I bring all of that again to say, the main idea being, sometimes you got to stop praying and start kneeling. And for a lot of us, we have more than enough knowledge. Whether you think you know the whole Bible or not, it's not really an issue. Whether you think you know enough of the Bible or not, it's not really an issue. The issue really is in the God who we serve and what he's able to do. What's he pawing and tugging on our hearts with? Well, I don't know about this. I need to practice that. And I don't know them. And I'm not sure about this. Let me pray about it some more. Start doing. Are you with me? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay, ten minutes. Watch this happen in ten minutes. Ready? But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. So Saul's still around. The Lord rejected him. But Samuel is not telling him about the conversation that he's having with God about the son of Jesse. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So God says, So Samuel's like, He's going to kill me if you find out. Like, this is treason. And God says, Listen, just tell him you're doing what you're here to do. You're here to pray for people, uh, provide uh, sacrifices, leave them at the altar. Just tell him that's what you're doing. He's not lying to him. He's using his job duty. And so, that's what he's going to tell him. Verse 4. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Like, oh man, we must be in trouble. Verse 5. Samuel replied, Yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. You're always going to notice whenever you read, this is why I love parts of the Old Testament. It was no joke. Everybody say, no joke. It was no joke when you came to worship God. He said, make sure you guys get yourself consecrated. In other words, what that means is, get yourself clean. Set yourself apart. Get your mind in the right place. At that time, they had certain like uh, laws and practices that they had to do within their home. Say, so, hey, listen, get everything right. Then come show up and give God your best. I really like that. Because there's sort of this like false notion, false notion that's out there now. You just sprinkle a little bit of Jesus in your life and you're good. Like, oh man. Go consecrate yourselves. Put your heart and your mind in the best. And when you're coming to church on Sunday, man, bring it. Bring it. And that doesn't mean, that's not code for saying, if you had a difficult week and you didn't do well and you're really struggling, that you shouldn't come. That's not what that means. Just man, it just means bring God your best. So when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. So the first son, the oldest son, the most impressive looking son, Samuel's like, Oh, that's the guy. That's the one. 
Verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me say the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these at all. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons that you have? He said, There is still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. He's probably like 13, 14 or so at this time. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. So ruddy is like uh, kind of like a redhead. He's got, um, I guess, handsome, good-looking kid. Not super tall or impressive, but kind of a good-looking kid. Doesn't look kingly or stately. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil. And this is what they would do to show God's favor, his blessing, and his choosing. They'd have a horn of oil. They would dump it on them. And it would be super clear that, hey, listen, God chose this person. It's going to stain their clothes. It's going to be all over them. Like, but everybody's going to know this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. So he got this situation. They're all in front of him. No, 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 no. Youngest one is out with the sheep. Boom. Got it. That's the one. I'm very curious. That doesn't mean his brothers were bad. Doesn't mean that they're bad brothers. There is something, I guess, that God saw within their hearts that just didn't quite have what it took to be what God needed to use to lead the people. I mean, the Bible does say that God was a man after his own heart. Okay? And, but I mean, David also, like, he was a murderer. Like, he set up an adultery situation so that way the man would get, the husband would get killed. He was disobedient to God on multiple occasions. God said, do this, and he didn't do it. He pretended to be insane for a while. Like, he just, he did some crazy stuff. And so someone might think, Hey, God chose him because he just must be an amazing person. I, you know, I, I don't think so. He's not super amazing. You look at him. But there's something interesting in his heart that God saw, that he realized that for that particular task, his brothers didn't necessarily have it, but he did. He said, no, that's when I can... It's not perfect. Not perfect. But that is a heart that I can work with, that will partner with me that will be obedient when I need it and that I can count on. And so that's very intriguing to me. Because number one, like, you know, what does God see when he sees my heart? What does he see when he sees your heart? It's worthwhile to like talk with God about that and think about that. Because obviously you're more than what you see in the mirror. And you're more 
than your accomplishments. It's certainly more than your mistakes. But you have to... Those are nice cliches and like a nice state of mind to be in. But there's a destiny and a value that's on my life and on your life. And there's something very significant with what's on the inside of us. And I want to be keenly, ever say keenly, keenly and astutely aware of what he has stewarded inside of us. Do you know how high your confidence and identity level would be if you had a better understanding of that? And how much time, like, we wouldn't waste with what, how other people think about us? And the time we wouldn't waste thinking about, should I do this or should I do that? Like, we'd know really quickly, like, phew. God has put some of this thing in my heart. Like, of course I can do that. And then, take it next level. Imagine if we had Christians and Christ followers where they made a commitment in their hearts and in their minds and they said, God, I want to see other people around me the way you see them, the way you see their hearts, how they're made, how you created them. What's going on inside of them? I want to see past the snarl and the saltiness and the always excited or the athletic or whatever is on the outside. I want to see past it. Can you imagine Christ followers, you know, that labor and prayer to see the heart that's behind the exterior of the people we interact with all the time? That'd be pretty powerful. And then, go another level. Get rid of the people. Talk about just situations. We're not greatly thrown off into just turmoil with the situation. We say, man, it looks like that. But God, I know that you don't deal with appearances. Sometimes we can be so good at being hypercritical about a situation and a person and it brings no life. It makes you very observant, maybe awesome at being observant. <laughs> That's only like a really small beginning. Now there's work to be done. And so it's very much my prayer and my desire and I think it's a place where God wants us to be to where we'd be a people, number one, that we'd be able to see ourselves as God sees us for sure. It's very interesting in the New Testament, it says, you know, God's talking about the commandments and he says, um, you know, love God, love others as you love yourself. It only says that in one of the three Gospels. As you love yourself. That's a part in there. It's pretty interesting. It's like a significant and important part. If we love ourselves, if we take care of ourselves, we have a better idea of what it means to love and value somebody. And this idea of seeing past appearances, I think it just greatly, it greatly changes how we interact with people, how we treat people, what we think about them. I mean, it doesn't leave a lot of room for you know, being racist with somebody, being discriminatory. 
being super selective on people. It, just, it doesn't leave a lot of room for any of that. You know, it just leaves us in a place where, okay, I'm going to come in contact with these people or be around whoever, uh, family, friends, you know, whoever, people in our town. I mean, we <laughs> just look around, you can see all kinds of funkiness. But there's hearts behind that and there's, right, destiny on people's lives and there's value there. And God sees things. He sees things in people that He knows that they can bring about. Just like He sees you and I. And I just think it would be so right for us to be able to go around and function and treat people as God sees them. Give them chances as God would. It leaves room for chances. It leaves room for forgiveness. It leaves room for not giving up on people. Not giving up, like not quitting. They, have, they may have done stuff 40 years the same way. I don't know, it greatly changes how we interact and how we're around other people. And also super encourages my heart because uh, it's nice to know that my performance is not the only thing that matters in the kingdom. So I don't care if I come to church every Sunday for 52 weeks in a year, it doesn't really count for anything. So what? You don't get a medal for that. It doesn't even matter. It's not like a perfect attendance book in heaven. You can sign up for every small group, every volunteer thing. Do it all. And, like, you don't get it. Like, do it because you want to do it. Do it because your heart is in it. You don't get a special anything. So, I don't know. Just, just the idea of just appearances and how things look and how people look. I, it's too easy to get caught up in that. It's too easy. And next level... Is New Testament. Walk by faith, not by sight. Walk by faith, not by sight. And so I think it really causes us to ask ourselves in my own life, where am I walking by faith? Where? Where exactly? So if I were to ask you right now, which I won't, if I were to ask you, where in your life are you truly walking by faith? I'm curious to see what the answers would be. And like we said, it's not like, well, I asked for some people to pray for this and pray for that. And I'm saying, stop praying and start doing. Where are you walking by faith? Like doing it. Where is it happening? So, I wanted to ask God. So let's join in prayer. Let's just ask Him to give us... There's that song, you know, old school song, Open the Eyes of My Heart. We played that here a bunch of times. But we'll ask God to open up the eyes of our hearts. I said 10, I went 8. That's not too bad. I mean 12, sorry. So Father, there's just this whole unseen realm that we don't see very often. We, It's hard for us to be just aware of all the time. Because there's so many things in life that are happening so quickly. and It's hard to notice a lot of stuff. I pray, Father, that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, like it says in Ephesians. That you would open up to see the work that you're doing. To be aware of where your hand is. To give us greater insight 
give us a supernatural ability to see things and recognize things in people's lives that they don't even see or notice. Or maybe they do, but they just need another encouragement on it. And Father, may you give us, Lord, just a great clarity on how you made us so we're just more secure and we can walk with greater confidence about being children of you. I'm so grateful that you don't judge life and people and situations by the way they appear. Because some things look so lost and so hopeless, Lord. And it doesn't matter to you because you're the God who can do the impossible. May that be implanted on our hearts, Lord. You're the God of the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to pass out our elements here and do communion together. So just hold on to it and then we're going to take it together. Yeah, in Ephesians 1... Uh, it says this, 1 verse 17, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in the same and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Praying that the eyes of our hearts be opened so we can know the hope to which he's called us to. And I love, within that hope, riches and glorious inheritance in the seed. So I wanted to give you a heads up. For next week, I'm going to have on the table out there, I'm going to have little post-it notes, okay? They'll just be like those small ones, you know? And the deal is going to be, um, we are to collectively as a church family, um, of course, we can talk about it together, but of course, you got to do it, right? I mean, got to go out and do it. So I'm going to have a post-it note out there. And the deal with the post-it note is, trying to encourage trying to focus on our town if it happens in other towns that's, that's fine but during the week if one of us we're praying for somebody in Naugatuck or somebody somewhere we don't know you know, not relative 
or we just feel moved to pray for somebody for whatever the reason is. You take a little post-it note out there. They're not there now, but they will be next week. Take a post-it note, just put the number one on there. Boom. And then we're just going to like post it. I don't know, we'll figure out where in the church. Maybe on the altar or something. We're just going to post it. We're going to keep them there. And I'd love to see us filling out those post-it notes. And you're not praying for people to do a post-it note, okay? But it's a good way for us to visually see our church family, how they're covering the world when they're not here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't put your name on it. I don't want that. Nobody wants to see that. Okay, don't put the name of the person you prayed for that might end up at church, or you don't want that. Just put the number on it. That's it. Just put one. Even if it was three, and let's put one on there. Fine. Do three post-it notes. But it would be pretty neat and pretty encouraging to see in our church, wherever we put it, maybe we didn't bolt in, maybe we just put it on the wall over there, I don't know. Say, man, our church family is like getting it done during the week. Covering people. Be encouraging to see that. And other new people would be like, what's your deal with post-it notes with the one on there? If we're going to ask about that, it'd be good to share about it. Alright, so when you see that little post-it pad out there next week, that's what that's for, that's what that's about. I'll send in the weekly newsletter too. Alright? Okay. Let's pray over this. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done for us. We truly do. We don't know the depth of the sacrifice, but we just thank you so much for the love that compelled you to take our place. You didn't have to, but you chose to. And so we say thank you. And again, like we talked about earlier, your body, the bread of life. I thank you um, that we can feast on it. Pray that it would be feasting in our lives with the bread of life, the word of life. That's the same. May you fill my heart, our hearts, our minds with just your word that will greatly encourage, that will prophetically change things, that will just change the environment around us. May your word just be a mark on our life.